Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Our sermon today is we, we start to look at our, God's will for your influence. And we're going to be in 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to look at two different parts, uh, two different chapters in 2 Samuel, very close to each other actually. But the one we'll actually be reading from to nine today is, ver- is chapter 9. And so if you want to turn if you're in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to look at God's will for your influence. I mentioned that this, week, this weekend I got to travel back home. I got to go see uh, a bunch of people that I haven't seen in 10 years uh, that, that I graduated with, and it was a good time. Got to see people and, and hear about what they're doing. But I also got to see my dad, and I got to see um, my, my youth pastor who's been a mentor in my life. And, and I am very fortunate that I have a great dad who loves me. He spent a lot of time with me. Uh, invested in me, taught me things. We had things we got to do together that we enjoyed. We still have things we can do together that we enjoy. So I know that I'm very blessed in that. And as I was looking forward in this series of what God's will for your life is, I recognized that today was going to be Father's Day, and I wanted to think about what is it that is particularly important about fathers that will impact everyone here. I don't want to just preach to the dads today. I want to preach to everyone But one thing that we can see very clearly is that fathers, the influence of a father is extremely important in the life of their children. That's not to say mothers aren't important, but when you look at children, one of the data markers that shows the most adverse effects for a child child going forward is the absence of a father in their life. If a father is absent in the life of a child, Almost everything in their life they're at a higher risk for that's a negative outcome. For poverty, for drug and alcohol abuse, for ending up in prison. All of these things go up when the father is not there. And we do know that in this country we have a problem where at times there are not fathers present. And so a father has great influence in the life of their child. And of course these are just statistics and this is not always the case. There are people who have no father that is present in their life, that grow up and do fantastic things. And there are people that have a father in their life that have a very hard time as they get older. And of course, not all fathers are great. But we cannot deny the influence that fathers have in the life of their children. By their presence or their absence, by their love or their neglect, This influence is something that should be taken seriously because fatherhood is a role easily gained and also easily neglected. And as we celebrate fathers today, I want to take a moment and consider the importance of our influence as a whole. So for you fathers today, myself included, we have to consider how important our role and our influence as a father is. But every single one of us in this room has influence in some way, shape, or form in other people's lives and in the world around us. What roles and positions do you have that influence other people? I want you to think about that. Think about the influence even just a bad driver has on your day. You have influence everywhere you go in your life. And the question I want us to answer today is, how does God want you to use that influence in your life? 
You know, one of uh, comic book's favorite uncles, Uncle Ben, says, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? It's from Spider-Man, if you didn't know that. With great power comes great responsibility. But it's very important. The more influence you have in life, the more responsible you have to be with that influence. So today we're going to look at a person who's a father, but we're not really necessarily looking at his fathering today, but the influence that he had. I would say if you were to look at the most influential people in the Bible, he would be probably in most people's top five. King David. Right? We know the stories of David and Goliath and all of these things that have happened in his life and running from Saul, becoming the king. And we're going to look at two instances from his life because he was very influential. He was the king of Israel that people followed. And we're going to look at a situation where he mishandles his influence in a terrible way. And we're going to look at an, a, an instance where he uses his influence in a way that honors God. So we're going to start with how your influence can destroy others. Your influence, the things you have in your life, the, the, the influence you exert in your life on the people around you can destroy them. And this is a longer passage, so we're not going to read it, but I want to explain it to you. And it's, a, it's a story you're likely familiar with. But before we do that, let's pray this morning as we continue. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for your word and the time that we can take and look at what you've revealed to us through scripture, through your word to us, that we can see these stories about how King David followed you and didn't follow you and how that impacted those around him. God, I pray that you'll be with us this morning as we seek you. Lord, I pray that you will convict us in our hearts of our need for you and of how we need to follow you faithfully in our life. Be with us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at 2 Samuel 11, which is just past chapter 9, where you're, we're going to be reading from in, in a bit, we see the story of David and Bathsheba. So David at this point is the king. He's slain Goliath. He was on the run from King Saul. He is established as the king of Israel, the most powerful person in the kingdom. And he has a point where at the beginning we kind of see probably David's not making some wise decisions because his people are at war, but he is back living in comfort. He's not leading his people and exerting his influence on the battlefield as he has in the past. And in this moment of comfort, he goes and he's strolling on his roof and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And he commits adultery. She is the wife of Uriah, one of his soldiers, one of the people leading in the battle. So what do we see here? He's the king. He tells his servants to go and get this woman, and he commits adultery with her. He uses his influence to take what was someone else's, to commit sin. This is not good. And if we look around the world around us, we know that things like this happen where powerful people exert their influence for selfish and greedy things. But just like anything in the world, your actions have consequences, and so Bathsheba ends up being pregnant. And so David, in all of his wisdom, concocts a good cover-up operation. He's going to bring Uriah back under the guise that he wants to report, send him home, and so everything's going to seem all fine. But Uriah is a man of integrity. 
How can I go home and be comfortable when my men are on the field? I'm going to sleep outside the gate and then go back. And so David knows that he can't cover up what he's done. What does he do instead? Sends a message. Send Uriah to where the highest and the worst fighting is, and then abandon him. Sending the command to murder the man whose wife he slept with, who is a faithful servant of him. David is the most influential person in the kingdom of Israel. And he uses it for gratifying his fleshly desires to walk into sin and then to cover up that sin and then compound in more sin by murdering the person's wife that he has taken as his own. And it's not until Nathan the prophet confronts him with a hypothetical situation that he acknowledges his own sin. So what do we learn from this passage? You need to pay attention to what is driving you as a person with influence. Right? We, we talked about how someone that's a bad driver can cause problems for you. We all know this, right? If, you have, if someone has drank, they should not go and drive. Why? Because their faculties are diminished. They cannot operate the vehicle the way they could otherwise. You have to pay attention to what is driving you. King David, as the most influential person in the kingdom, allows his fleshly desires, his lust, to drive the decisions that he makes. He allows his, his fear of shame to drive him into murder later. What is driving you? Is it a self-focus? Are you concerned with the things that you will get, that you will gain, how someone else will benefit you, or are you concerned with doing what is right? Because when we have influence and we have a selfish focus, people are consumables to us. So what do I mean by that? They are something to be used for our benefit. The problem with something like lust is that in that moment, David is not looking at Bathsheba as a person, but something to gratify his desires. And Uriah is not looked at as a servant, but a problem to be gotten rid of. And so when we have influence and we're focused on ourselves, people around us aren't someone created in the image of God. They are either something we can use or something that we need to get rid of, a nuisance to us. So is your flesh driving the decisions you make? Is your self-focus driving the decisions you make? Because if that is what is driving you, it's going to lead you into abusing your influence. And when you abuse your influence, you will destroy others. You think about on Father's Day, what makes a good father is a father that is compassionate to their children, who love their children, who lead their children. When is a father a bad father? When they're selfish, when they neglect, when they look at themselves rather than their children. And so our influence in your life, when you think of the positions you hold, the power that you wield, are you focused on yourself or doing what God calls you to do in the middle of these situations? Because if David was honoring God, he probably would have been on the battlefield with his people, or at least leading from that position. And then he certainly wouldn't have, when he saw Bathsheba bathing, taken her 
in a, in a way that gratified his desires. So what is driving you? You maybe you certainly don't have as much influence as King David did. But if what drives you is fleshly like what drove King David, it can lead you into making harmful decisions. And the next thing we see from King David is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Who was going to tell him no? Someone probably should have. But who was going to tell him no? And so just because you might have authority to do something, just because you might can get away with something, does not mean that you should do it. There are people that wield authority in the business world or family world, whatever world they may operate in, and they know that they have authority over others. And this authority goes to their head and causes them to want to harm them. Here's a very harmless example of how that looks. It gets escalated as we go on. In football, right? I played football growing up. And so I get to the high school team. Finally, you're out of middle school. You're a freshman on the high school team. And guess what you had to do at the beginning and the end of every practice? You carry out all the equipment and you put all the equipment up. Why? Because you're the lowest on the totem pole and you have no influence. And so the people with influence make sure your life is a little bit harder. They make sure you're the one that's going to do all the grunt work. Why? Because they don't have to anymore. They can boss you around. That same attitude exists in every other part of our life. That because someone made their life hard, they're going to make your life hard when they get that power and authority. And so you need to look at your life and you think about it. Do you want your children, hopefully you think about it, the struggles you faced growing up, did you want those same struggles for your children? Usually not. In the same way when we deal with people, we should want to enhance their life rather than tear them down. Build them up instead of tear them down. And so just because you might have authority over a person or just because you are able to do something doesn't always mean that you should. The more power you have, the more influence you have. And the more influence you have, the more harm you're capable of doing. This is where we have to realize that your actions have consequences. We see from his first action, it resulted in pregnancy. We see from that, it results in the death of Uriah. So even when it is not your intention, I don't think that was what David was intending to do, when he told them to bring, bring her. He didn't want there to be a pregnancy, but it happened. And he didn't want to kill Uriah right away. He wanted to cover it up, but it led to that. The actions that you take will have consequences. The things you do, especially when they are selfish, will have negative consequences on the people around you. And your actions can destroy others. You think about the people, we've heard, it's really been through my lifetime, I've seen it come up and and be talked about, the idea of the problem of bullying. And I think it really is a problem that can exist where people have some level of influence and they beat down, demean, and degrade people. And we've seen where instances of this have led to people taking their own life. Because someone had influence in their life. And what did they do with it? Told them they did not matter. Told them that they were not worth anything. 
The people believed it. And so when we think about how we interact with others, we have to realize that what we say, what we do, how we live is going to leave an impact. For good or for bad. And I'll tell you one thing. The way that I am as a person is I'm very aware of the things I do wrong. I'm very self-critical. I once got, the only detention I ever got was not a real detention. It was a fake detention that my best friend Caleb went up to our teacher and he told her, you got to write Cole in a detention because he says he's sorry too much. Because it was, I annoyed her all the time. Okay? I, anytime I would do something, I would apologize. And then I would apologize because I'd apologize too much. So I came back from lunch one day in fifth grade and saw a detention on my desk. It said, reason, excessive apologizing. And it wasn't real. But I'm very aware of the things I do wrong. And so in many ways, I didn't enjoy this, this reunion very much because you know what I did when I went back? I remembered every single thing that I had done that I wished I hadn't done in regards to these people and these relationships. Ten, some of these situations, 15 years later, the only thing I remember about my relationship with this, with this person is that one thing I said that was not very nice. And we have to be aware of those things. Because there's the chance the only thing that person remembers about me is that one time in fifth grade when I pointed out that girl had a mustache. It wasn't very nice. And that's the only thing I remember about that relationship with that person. It wasn't kind. So how do you use the influence you have? Because your actions have consequences. And too often it's easy for us to forget about the things we do wrong. To justify them until we get called on it. But the reality is, is just like we see a, a negative example for King David, and the beautiful thing about the Bible is the Bible is descriptive often and not prescriptive. Here's the thing. God is not telling you to go and do what David did. He allows this to be in there so you see how one of the people that we call a man after his own heart is a failure just like us at times. So that we can see his mistakes and we can learn from them. But we also see examples of the things that we should do. Because just as your influence can destroy others, it can also restore others. It can also bring people who have had difficulty and are the, and on the brink back. So this is where we're going to read in 2 Samuel 9, 1-13. So some context for this. As they're coming into this situation, David is now the king, replacing Saul. Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were the very best of friends. In fact, Jonathan was kind of part of the reason David was able to escape from Saul. But David perished alongside his, or Jonathan perished alongside his father. And, and God gave the kingdom to David. So we're in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, and we see this situation play out. David asked, is there anyone remaining, remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show kindness, the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, there is still Jonathan's son who is injured in both feet. The king asked him, where is he? 
Ziba answered him, You will find him in Lodibar, at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So King David brought him from the, brought him from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, said to Saul, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. David, David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What what is your servant that you take interest in a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson, grandson all that belonged to his family, to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him. You are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do all the Lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. So here's what we see here. When you remember and you look at this dynamic, if Saul was the king and Jonathan was his son and they both died, based upon how kingship and all of that stuff would work, who then would inherit or have a claim to the throne? Mephibosheth. And so most people at this time, most people in this world, what they're going to do when they ask, is there anyone remaining from Saul's household? Is not bring them to eat at his table. It's to wipe them out so there's no claim to the throne. But what does David do here? He's influential. And we see how influence builds and carries on because David is doing this. Why? Well, because of God's love, he understands it at this point. He's, he's going to do what God wants him to do here. But he also, the, the carrying over of the influence Jonathan had in the life of David carries over. Jonathan realized that his father Saul was far from the Lord, that was not following God. And he loved David. He realized that David was installed and anointed by God to become king. And even though it cost him the kingdom, he was going to honor God through the way he honored David. That's what Jonathan did. And so then we see David, after all of the dust settles, and Saul is gone. And Jonathan is gone. And he's the king. And he remembers what Jonathan did for him. He knows of God's love for him. And so he asks, is there anyone of Saul's household still alive that I can show kindness to because of what Jonathan did for me? Is there anyone that I can... I want to show them the kindness of God. Well, there's Mephibosheth. But his, his feet are both injured. Bring him to me. Let me. I'm not a person that really likes the, the idea or the, or the message or the, the phone call or the text message, hey, can I talk to you? If, as soon as I get that, I immediately start, what, what did I do? What are they, what are they, what's going to happen? 
Can you imagine the journey from Mephibosheth to King David? Hey, uh, King David was asking if there was anybody left from Saul's household. I told him about you. He wants to talk to you. And he's probably, this is not going to go well. I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say, I'm your servant. I don't want the throne. Please don't hurt me. But David's intentions for him are good. And so this is where we see the, the counter to what we talked about earlier. You've got to pay attention to what's driving you. In this situation, David was driven by his love for Jonathan and the love of God. This is not self-motivated. Self-motivation would annihilate Mephibosheth. But he wants to show him the love of God. He's other-focused, how he can bless others rather than how he can build himself up. And just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And sometimes even you should do what others wouldn't suggest that you would do. David could have cast him out, exiled him, sent him away, made sure there was no threat to his throne. But just because he could do that doesn't mean that he should. He showed mercy and instead benefited Mephibosheth and his entire family moving forward. And we see that, that your actions have consequences. And so rather than living in shame or in fear or even being put to death or exiled, Mephibosheth now has a seat at the king's table. These are good consequences. And so when you walk in a way that restores others rather than destroys them, the consequences of your actions will be a blessing rather than a curse. I want you to think about that. There's probably not a lot of people in your life that you're very neutral on that you know very well. You either like these people or you have a problem with these people. They've been a blessing to you or they've been a curse in some way to you, a thorn in your side. And when you use your influence for bad, guess what you become? A curse into people's lives. Man, you got to stay away from so-and-so. You know what they did to me? You know what they said to me, said about me? That's what happens when our influence is used to destroy others. But when you use your influence to restore others, you become a blessing. There was one strange encounter from this reunion. A, a girl that I was friends with, I mean, we weren't overly close. I haven't spoken to her since we graduated. Came up to me and said, I just wanted to really let you know how much I appreciated the friends you were to me. And I was really confused. I don't remember anything that I did in particular. But something I did left a positive impact. And that was a blessing to me. It was, it was great to hear that news. And I'm glad that there was a positive impact there. And you may never hear that. You may never hear of the positive impact you play in someone's life. But what are you going to use the influence you have for? To build others up or to tear them down? To restore people or to destroy them? And here's the thing, we can see how people who are following God are capable of doing both things. Because we see that David shows kindness to Mephibosheth, and he restores him, and he brings him into his household, and he's eating at the king's table, and he leaves that table to go and commit adultery with Bathsheba and to kill Uriah. Because that happens after Mephibosheth. So just because you know God and may be following doesn't mean you are exempt from being selfish and self-focused, and doing harm to others. You have to always be aware of what you're doing. 
But I want to take a moment and, and help us to realize and to see the picture of God's love for us that we see in Mephibosheth. Because we, because of God's love for us, can have a seat at the king's table. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by, were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from work, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. Here's what I want you to understand this morning, is that when Mephibosheth came, he referred to himself as a dead dog. Who are you that you would look upon a dead dog like me and do this? We are dead in our trespasses and sins, is what the Bible tells us. Here's what I want you to understand, is that all people, in which all people once walked, we all once walked, all people sin. And the result of that sin is that they are at odds with their creator, God. There is a God that, who loves us, who has worked through history, who has revealed himself to us through Scripture. And the reality that we know is that we are all at odds with God at one point. And while we are dead in our trespasses and sin, objects of wrath because of our sin in our lives, deserving of punishment, God steps in. And I want you to understand that, that Mephibosheth was probably counting his days, hoping David never called on him, hoping he overlooked him. But here's the reality. God knows our sin. He's aware of our sin. He has wrath against our sin. And there's no overlooking it. You can't out, outdo it. You can't work your way out of it. You can't do enough good things. All people stand condemned by their own actions. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. Even though you have sinned, even though you have rejected God by the way you've lived, God loved you. He made a way for you to be redeemed, to be made right with Him. There was nothing Mephibosheth could do to undo what Saul did. But because David was loved by God, and he showed God's love to Mephibosheth. But he didn't just forgive us for this. He didn't just say, hey, you don't got to worry. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do anything to you. So because of the great love with which he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead, 
he also raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He didn't say, hey, Mephibosheth, you're good. I'm not going to hurt you. He said, come sit at my table and all of your people are going to be taken care of because everything that was your father's is yours and you're taken care of because you're going to be at the king's table. And so the message for the lost people in the world is you're dead in your sin. You don't have any hope because of yourself, but God loved you so much that he sent his son, didn't withhold his only son, who lived the life we could not, and he took our sin. He took our punishment so that if we would believe in him because of God's grace for us, we can be made right with him. But not just forgiven, not just skirting by, seated with him in the heavenly places to experience the graces of, of his, the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Not because of what we've done, not because we've deserved it, not because we're good enough, not because we clean ourselves up, but because God loves you. And he has made a way for you to be in relationship with him. This is not just a stamp. This is a life-changing thing that transforms how you should see yourself because you are loved by God. You are purchased by the blood of Christ if you will just acknowledge your sin, believe in what Jesus has done for you, and confess Him as your Lord and Savior and follow Him with your life. And your life will never be the same. Mephibosheth didn't leave this encounter, go back to wherever he was hiding. and, and No, he ate at the king's table. He is now at the king's table. So today I want to invite you. If you were to look at your relationship with God and you say, well, I think I'm okay. I think I try to do good things. I try to be a good person. The bad news is, is that you are a person who has sinned just like every other person you'll meet. And there's nothing you're going to do that's going to fix that. But God has already taken care of the work. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And if you will acknowledge your sin, believe in what Christ has done, and confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be redeemed. Not just forgiven, but redeemed and enjoy what God has done and will continue to do for eternity. And that's one of the reasons I think Amazing Grace is so beloved is because we see all the parts of it, right? We see how God has saved a wretch like me, but in when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing God's praise. It's saving us from ourselves to be with Him forever. And so if you don't know Him this morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, I would implore you to do that today. Or maybe you've even grown up in church a lot of your life and you realize this has just been kind of a game I play. I show up on Sundays and I try to be a good person, but I've never trusted in what God has done for me, what Jesus has done. I've been trying to do it myself. Don't be deceived by your own actions. Follow Christ. But I know there are many of you who do follow Christ. How are you using your influence today? Because here is the beautiful truth. If you're sitting here today, you are not the most influential person in the world. Okay? But you have the most influential message 
that's ever been given that you can share with others. Because we go to others on behalf of their Creator. Right? When someone's an ambassador, they speak on behalf of the country that sent them that makes them have more power. Not because they are powerful in themselves, but because of the authority been, that has been given to them. And so if you are a believer in the, this room this morning, you are an ambassador for God, tasked with taking this message of life to the world. So how are you going to use your influence? To destroy or to restore? How are you doing that in your life now? And are you going to take this message to a world that needs it? In a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to invite you to respond to how God is working in your life. Whether that's following Him for the first time, responding to the gospel message, that you can have a seat at the king's table, that he has gave himself for you. Or whether that means that you need to get right with how you're living and how you have neglected your influence and how you need to follow him and how you need to share your faith with others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we have. And God, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that if there is anyone that is far from you that doesn't know you, that you would bring them back today, that, that you have sought them out, you have given your only son for them, that there is a way that they can be made right with you. And God, I pray that today you would draw them to yourself, that nothing would stand in the way. And God, I pray that if there are, are any of us that are neglecting our influence or realizing the harm that we've caused, Lord, that we would repent of that and follow you in a way that honors you and glorifies you and builds people up and restores them. And most importantly, that we would be faithful in sharing this message of salvation that you've entrusted to each of us. God, I pray that you would move within our hearts and we would respond appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.